G'day Sports by Fry fans, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports by Fry podcast here on a Tuesday recapping yet another round of AFL fantasy action. 20 weeks done and dusted, there's only a couple left if you're out there struggling. Well, I was going to say similar to me, but I actually had a good week for a change. Uh, The pain and torment is nearly over. There's three weeks left of finals, so hopefully you're still in the running for something meaningful in your leagues. And of course, there's a lot of people out there in competition for a hat and plenty of other meaningful ranking spots. There were some massive scores in round 20 from players and teams alike. So without further ado, let me dive into the round 20 wrap up. Like I said at the lead-off, the large fries and coke had a pretty good outing this week. My third highest score of my career, 24-63, I managed to chalk up with help from some big players. I did still have a rookie on my field, so 2019 season hasn't really gone the way I'd like. But uh, that rookie outscored some of my other premiums. Starting in my back line, I saw Lockie Whitfield behave much like Lockie Whitfield of old with a 115. I'd We've been kind of calling him out, trying to get some massive scores out of him. But 115, I'll take it. Rory Laird was a similar bloke in that position, asking for more, and he well and truly delivered. Big 134 from Laird. Had 100 from Brody Smith, 90-odd from Jake Lloyd, and then Hunter Clark and Connor Blakely rounded things out with 80s. I opted to bring in young docker Jason Carter on my bench, so that gives me another handy link for some potential trades. So the back line was pretty standard, pretty solid. Midfield was very similar. There were some bigger scores. Jack McRae's 151 definitely helped. That was, I think, the highest score of the round. So, yep, nice to have him in there. Adam Trelaw kept up his 120 streaks. Zach Merritt had a 116. The Eagles boys, Shuey and Gaff, got to tons. And unsurprisingly, Mitchie Duncan's role change has seen his uh, fantasy numbers dip a bit. But that's okay. I still have faith. He got a 90-odd. He was uh, actually pipped by my on-field rookie in Will Snelling. He scored 93, and I think it was a little bit of a flash in the pan. But I have expected Snelling to drop some 70, 80 numbers uh, with a big tackle presence around the ball a lot. So hopefully he can do that for another week or two. I'll definitely want to try and chop him out before the season's done and dusted. But... If he's going to put up a 90, he can uh, keep his spot at M8. And Timmy Taranto was the only other one who... I had a gut feeling he was going to do one of these 80s. I called it out to JLo before the game, and sure enough, an 84 was what Taranto dropped. Someone asked me if they should still have him as a trade target this week, and I justified it by saying he has his 80, but then he'll balance it out with a 140, and it all equates to an average around the 110 mark. So Taranto is still a fine trade target. If you need an upgrade in the rucks, hopefully you'll be rocking with Brody Grundy and Max Gorn. But like I've said for a couple of weeks, there are some other options out there. Riley O'Brien, Rowan Marshall, to name a few. But Grundy proved why he is the number one ruck this week. Again, he had a... I want to say a formidable matchup coming against uh, Jared Witts, but monstered his way to 145. He was my skipper. I stuck with the Grunderson after his uh, lackluster effort last week, so kudos to Brody for that. Maxi Gorn got his ton. There were some worries over how Braden Proust would affect his output, but he still got 100, so I'm not complaining. Finally, my forward line. Again, a bit of a mixed bag. Nothing too incredible. I mean, James Walpole's 126. There's nothing to be sneezed at, but... Apart from that, it was just 90s across the board. I still don't own Josh Dunkley, and I don't have Toby Green, so I had to settle for Billings' 103, Bokey's 90, Zeeble's 90, 
Tim Kelly got to 90, which is a win considering his recent form, but Paddy Dangerfield was probably the biggest letdown in my side with only 65 and kind of went missing in that Dockers game. But yeah, like I said, 24-63, the large fries and coke scored. I only moved up about 1,500 spots, but it puts me in conversation with the top 15,000. So hopefully I can keep soaring upwards. I'm gunning for the top 10. Don't think it'll happen, but dare to dream. All right, Cloudy with a chance of carnage. Some big names potentially under injury clouds heading into the third last week of the fantasy season. There's none, no bigger injury news rather than uh, Grant Birchall, who sadly suffered another hamstring injury, and that will pretty much end his year and might end his AFL career. After four flags and nearly 250 games, he's always been uh, a fan favourite of mine, so... All the best to Grant Birchall. Hopefully it's not the last time we see him on an AFL field, but it appears likely. Hamstrings, again, were the flavour of the round. Dane Zorko hurt his against the Bulldogs, but good news for Brisbane fans. It doesn't appear to be serious, and there's a chance that he'll take on the Suns this weekend. For his former teammate, no, in Dane Beams, the news wasn't as good. There was speculation over whether he was going to make a return in the finals. He's been sidelined with hip injury since round 11, but he's now had season-ending surgery on a shoulder issue that he was scheduled to have anyway, so his year is done. Mason Cox, his new teammate, is in a similar boat. He's out for the rest of the year, but he had a torn retina in his eye, which sounds nasty, but he's going to miss the rest of 2019, which is another massive blow for Collingwood. We could see the triumphant return of Josh Kelly this week. He's had a month-long hiatus with his calf injury. The traders did make a good point on their pod the other night, though, in saying that while Kelly's in the mix and should return this week, he is playing on Friday night in Canberra, where it's going to be bloody cold. So coming back from a calf injury in the cold on a Friday night probably doesn't bode great news for Josh Kelly, and those people who've hung on to him throughout this injury issue will be a little bit annoyed if he doesn't return. His teammate and... Arguably the best tagger in the league, Matty DeBoer. He's missed six weeks of footy and should return for GWS against the Hawks as well. So that's something to consider if you've got fantasy players going up against the Giants to end the season. Alrighty, quickly burning through my favourite five from the round. This is pretty vanilla. I stuck with the way the scores panned out because... Honestly, a lot of people benefited greatly from some huge numbers. Plus five goes to Jack McRae. A vintage performance against Brisbane. Helped himself to 45 touches. He was dominant from start to finish, really. There was a period of time where he didn't look like he was going to be the Jackson McRae of old, but his price now similar to where he started the year. I think I called after the buyers that he would be the player that scored the most points in the second half of the season, and this 150 definitely helps that claim. Not too far behind him in plus four category this week was Toby Green. Over 5,000 people traded in Toby Green this week. I tried to, but... Sydney Stack had other ideas injuring his calf, so I missed out on his big 146, which was a great reward for only 8% of the competition, so he's still semi-unique. I feel like there'll be a lot of people that'll jump on Toby Green this week as well, but if you've got him at any point in the last three weeks, you'll be pretty happy with what he's been doing. Plus three goes to Brody Grundy, 145 he managed against, like I said, a pretty notable ruck in Jared Witts. Witts did spend some, some time off the ground, so that definitely helped boost Grundy's score, but... There's a reason why he's been uh, inducted into the sty. The fantasy pig had 26 touches, 43 hitouts, and honestly, he's got Max Gorn this week, which is a bit more daunting, but I'll be tempted to keep the C on him. Another Bulldog appears in the top five at the plus two. This time, it goes to Marcus Bontempelli. Has 
kind of fluctuated a bit in recent times. He's had two scores, I think from memory, is about an 80 and a 60-odd uh, in the last five weeks. But when he hasn't gone under 80, he's gone and dropped a 120. Had 139 on the weekend. He's definitely a trade target to consider, priced under 700 grand. He does have some interesting fixtures to close the season, so you might want to pay a little bit of close attention to Bontempelli. If you've got him, though, you'll be uh, laughing at the numbers that he's been putting up. He's been fantastic recently. Finally, the plus one. I feel a little bit less guilty after recommending Nick Newman as a trade target a few weeks ago. He only had 68 against the Crows, and... A couple of people reminded me that uh, that was the advice I gave them, but there weren't too many people complaining after his 135 against West Coast. Don't go expecting him to kick four every week, but he should be good for a couple of 90, 95s, and hopefully a bit better to close out the season. Time for some negatives. Fry's frustrating five this week. Doesn't feature uh, Angus Brayshaw, which is a bit of a surprise, but... It does feature some very popular names. The first one who cops the negative five is James Sicily. It's time for him to clearly go. If you're one of the 15% of coaches who is holding out hope of him becoming a fantasy factor in the finals, it's time now to cut your losses. He's only posted one ton in the second half of the season, and he's not worth a hell of a lot, only at 504 grand. So unfortunately, it's going to cost you a bit to try and move him onto something decent. It is possible, though. There are some stepping stone defenders that you could bring into the mix, but keeping him will only continue to cause the pain. Just ask uh, Angus Brayshaw owners. Patrick Dangerfield cops the negative four for his 65. Like I mentioned, he kind of went missing in the Frio Geelong game when the going got tough. Granted, he did spend a lot of time up forward and sitting inside 50 when that did happen, but Nat Fife and Tim Kelly were the ones that kind of stole the show, and Danger only managed 13 points in the second half. So a couple of people captained him as well, and his numbers against Frio suggest that he would have been great, but unfortunately, Paddy didn't deliver. Another bloke who didn't deliver that was in serious consideration as a trade-in target, and he cops the negative three this week, is Dom Sheed. He does have Adelaide on the horizon, who traditionally give up a lot of points to uh, fantasy midfielders, so he should turn his form around. This 49 was his lowest score of the season, and if you do have Dom Sheed, I wouldn't go overreacting and flicking him out, but it does uh, cause a bit of concern and probably rules him out as a trade-in candidate. The negative two this week goes to Christian Salem. I did kind of post about him as a trade-in candidate in the big fantasy finals primer, but... The unique defender didn't exactly fire against uh, Richmond. Only had 67. Hopefully he can bounce back. I expect him to against Collingwood this week. Maybe top 90 because, uh, yeah, 67, not going to cut it, mate. Finally, the negative one goes to Patrick Cripps. His uh, roller coaster season continues to surprise with Carlton's Brownlow fancy struggling to find consistency. Lately, I know I'm still of the belief that he's playing hurt, but I wouldn't go trading him out because based on his... Uh, usual trend. He'll go 120 or 130 next week, but I wouldn't go trading him in either. Like I said, I still think that Cripps's foot isn't right. I reckon Carlton have kind of rushed him back. Well, not rushed him back, but let's be honest, they're trying to build something down there at the Blue Baggers, and it's working recently. So even if Cripps isn't at 100%, you've still got to roll him out. He's probably at 80%, still better than a lot of AFL footballers. So while he is probably playing hurt and hampered, there's a lot of players in that basket this time of year. So again, don't go trading him out, don't go trading him in, but hopefully for the people that still have him, he'll post triple figures again next week. Flicking through some trade tactics now, I did talk a lot about midfielders because most coaches will be rocking with complete midfields at this point in time. I did highlight Bontempelli earlier. He's someone to consider. And I would check out Cal's Scalar Hardness on the Dream Team talk site and 
have a look at what runs some players have coming up because it's getting time to shuffling premiums around. Someone that will come into a lot of fantasy teams this week, just like he did last week, will probably be Toby Green. Now, there is some perceived risk with Green. Josh Kelly and or Matty DeBoer's inclusion into the GWS midfield could hamper Green's scores to close the year, but I still think he's a fine target. I said that he'll probably, similar to uh, Nick Newman, who I just talked about, he'll probably post a couple of 90s and 95s, but Green has been massive and he's probably, in my eyes, the form player of the comp right now. So if you can get him, does cost a bit at 717 grand, but definitely worth the penny. If you're chasing someone down back, though, Rory Laird, uh, fresh off his Caesar Best 134, is the trade target in my eyes. 650k, he'll set you back, which, surprisingly, is only about 30k more than Brody Smith, who's also been on fire and you could consider, but... Laird is probably my favourite trade target at the moment. West Coast have been giving up a lot of points to defenders from a fantasy perspective lately, so hopefully if you bring in Laird, you can get some instant reward in round 21. Looking at some of the rookies, again, not super relevant this time of year, but now that they're priced over the 250, 300k mark, I wouldn't go looking at the popular blokes like Will Snelling, Dalton Langlands, or Hayden McLean. All three have been pretty good over the last fortnight or so. Langlands was a bit lacklustre this week, but... They're all great trade targets probably two weeks ago. I think it's wise now, though, to prioritise money in the bank for a few more all-important upgrades. So the likes of Jason Carter, even Hugh Goddard, who only had a 30 on the weekend, and maybe any other fresh faces who are picked on Thursday night, they're all much more appealing for a bench placement, in my opinion. I'll probably look at bringing one or more of them in this week to prioritise getting some cash, but... While it's handy to pay up for playing emergencies like Snelling and Langlands throughout the year, I don't think it's worth a coin at this point of the season. If you find yourself still owning Jack Zeeble and or James Sicily, I think you have to move them on when you have the chance. I've talked about both of them for a few weeks now, and coaches have followed suit by flicking them out. Zeeble needed three goals for his 90 on the weekend, and he isn't playing the same role he once was. It is worth flagging, though. Luke Davies' Uniac today has been ruled out for the rest of the year, I think with shoulder surgery or some ailment, so that could mean Zeeble back into the midfield a little bit, but I would definitely be trading him out. He goes for me this week. Sicily went for me a few weeks ago, and I'm happy that I've done that. His new responsibility in Hawks' system has all but ruined his fantasy numbers. Those in premium shuffle mode might have an eye on moving on Tom Rockliffe or Mitchie Duncan. They haven't really been firing lately, either been posting low hundreds or just a couple of 90s, so... Be prepared for the possibility that they go 120 plus when you move them along, but if you want to play the shuffling game, those two are definitely in the firing line. Like I've said with regards to rookies, maximising money needs to be a priority, so a couple of the blokes at the top of the culling list right now include Brett Bewley, who didn't play on the weekend, Oscar Baker, who's worth surprisingly a little bit more than Bewley. It is nice to have a playing emergency, so again, does come with some risk if you want to trade one out and then not have an emergency playing, but I think it's at the point of the year where you can sacrifice a bench spot to maybe save an extra 50, 60 grand, and that could be the difference between getting a great player or clutching at straws to bring in someone who you're not too happy with. Other blokes in that conversation who might honestly be dropped again this week include Nick Hind and Jared Cameron. If you're rocking with multiple playing emergencies on your bench, I would probably, again, look to cut one of them out and turn them into a 170k player who can make you some moolah. Draft leagues are definitely firing through the finals now, which makes waiver wire watch all the more important. There are a few forwards who interest me this week. 
Jake Stringer has started to appear a little bit through the midfield for Essendon, and with their injury issues to Dyson Hepball and a few other names, they are lacking some reliable bodies in there, so Stringer might keep seeing midfield time, which is good. He's only forward eligible at the moment, but scored an 87 on the weekend. A few points less than him was Cam Zerha with a 77. I do like both of those blokes in your draft side. Mid-forwards are always popular targets, and one mid-forward who's been in one of my teams all year is Sam Powell-Pepper. Does have his ups and downs, that's for sure, and depending on the personnel around him, his output fluctuates, but he could be a handy piece to add over the final three weeks of fixtures. Had 106 on the weekend, so he's in good form. His teammate, Dan Houston, who is in a few more teams, 32%. He had a 123 on the weekend, so... Gunning for him could be very handy if you need a defender. And if you need a ruck, there aren't too many around. But if you're desperate, Oscar McInerney, who also has forward status, is only in 9% of teams. Had an 83 on the weekend and actually started in the middle to start the game over Steph Martin. So he could be another bloke that you take a punt on to close the 2019 year. My moves before I wrap this thing up. It is appealing to turn Jack Siebel into Josh Dunkley or maybe Toby Green, but... If I'm going to really vault up the ranks, I think I'm going to have to think outside the box. So at the moment, I'm t- trading in the Jared Cameron, getting Hugh Goddard into my back line. That makes me another 140k. Then I'm going to use about half of that to turn Zebel into Tom Lynch from the Crows. Does have West Coast this week, so it does give me some pause, and it's not set in stone. I'll have to wait and see what happens Thursday night, as per usual, but I think Zebel replacement is where I'm steering my thoughts this week. If I do follow through with this Tom Lynch move, that does leave me with about 230 grand in the bank, so hopefully I can use that next week to turn Will Snelling into something and finally get all the rookies off my field. And that's going to do it for the round 20 wrap-up. Thanks once again for tuning in. I'll be back later in the week with some more podcast episodes. And as per usual, tomorrow, dreamteamtalk.com, you can read my rookie guide. Hopefully, we can get a few more debutants closing out the season. But otherwise, good luck for the rest of the fantasy finals. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time, 